0: I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts and find the 24th chapter, Acts chapter 24. This morning I want to share with you a message here during this our regular service entitled, Looking Forward to the Resurrection. And it's good to see everybody today. If you're a, a member, regular attender at New Life, we're glad that you're here today, obviously, but if you're visiting, maybe you're visiting with family today, it is a great privilege to have you with us. We are honored to have you here. And we do pray and hope that you will feel welcomed being here, and we also pray that you will be edified by being here, that you will be built up from the Word of God, from fellowship with other believers uh, this morning. Uh, Acts 24 and I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. If you could find Acts 24, 15 and 16. This is the word of the Lord. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And Lord... We believe from your word that Jesus is the one of whom the psalmist wrote about in the 24th chapter, where it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father, we believe as well today that Jesus Christ, your Son, and our great high priest, is the one who God makes us sons and daughters of God and who brings many sons to glory, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Father in Jesus name, we are again gathered today celebrating this wonderful weekend where we remember what Jesus has done for us. Now Lord as we look into this passage of scripture today, Lord God, I pray. I pray Lord with all of my all of my heart this morning. That this passage of Scripture, Lord, not the excellence of my words, but this passage of Scripture would have a huge impact in our lives today. Lord, that we might look forward to the resurrection that is yet to come. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, Uh, it is really good to see everybody today. I know this is really challenging coming in here after eating that good breakfast that, uh, that was provided for us today. And everybody got up early this morning and you're probably feeling pretty sleepy already right now and may have a difficult time concentrating and maybe even keeping your, your eyes open. It reminds me of that little poetic quip about, it's called, the color of my pastor's eyes. It goes something like this. The color of my pastor's eyes, indeed, uh, in truth, I cannot well define. For when he prays, he closes his, and when he preaches, I close mine. (laughs) So I hope that will not be the case this morning, even though I know that you all are feeling that. And I've been waiting for a while to use that one. (laughs) So it really worked out well, I think. But... (laughs) So uh, I know that that's going to be a great challenge for you today, but hang in there. I will try not uh, to turn this into a hostage situation today, but I'll try to just preach to this text and present it to you in a clear way. But I must admit, leading up to this Resurrection Sunday, as I've been on Facebook, and I'm not someone who posts anything on Facebook hardly, and I don't like anybody's stuff on Facebook, I just kind of... I just kind of stalk people on Facebook. (laughs) And, uh, okay, so uh, I've been noticing, you know, in my feed it keeps coming up, all these advertisements from churches. And I began to go into my, with my family there a couple times, and I started saying things like, hey, I've got a great idea for what we're going to do this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, We're gonna have a gaming trailer come in with video games in it and all the kids will be able to go out to the gaming trailer and play the video games. And in addition to that, we're gonna have a Nintendo Switch that we give away to every child who comes to church on Sunday morning. And then what about this? Let's have a petting zoo as well outside. And we're going to have the Easter bunny walking around the church taking pictures during our activities on Sunday because we have an experience for you. We want you to come. And then after that, we're going to have a huge egg Easter egg hunt. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a helicopter fly over and drop the Easter eggs out all over the ground and the children can go out and find them. And we might even do this. We're going to have little bunnies with parachutes on them and they're going to be... <laughs> thrown out of the helicopter as well and the children will all be able to take a bunny home and one of (laughs) and one of my children said after that the cannons would probably like that (laughs) (laughs) and we're going to have a message of hope for you inspired by scripture. And we're going to have a lemonade truck because we believe in having fun. And we're going to have multiple services just for you. And I began to go in and say to Sherry, we've got to get our video together. We've got to get our video out there inviting people and telling them, but really Sherry, what I'm going to have to do is you and I are going to have to stand there and I'd have to say, I'm Eric, the pastor of New Life Baptist Church, and this is my wife Sherry, the co-pastor. But, That's not accurate. She's not the co-pastor. But many of those videos had the husband and his wife as the co-pastors of the church. I'm beginning to think, what are we doing? This is Resurrection Sunday. You might wonder, why in the world does Brother Eric say Resurrection Sunday? Why doesn't he just say Easter? I just described to you the reason why I don't say Easter. Because it's turned into a secularized holiday that is, just worldly as it can be, rather than us from being reminded that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and in his most important event that has happened or that will ever happen in history, Jesus Christ is alive. He died on that cross. He was buried, but he rose again on the third day and he lives forever at the right hand of God and he is going to return one day in power and God has proven that Jesus is coming back one day. Day and that he's gonna judge the world by that man who died on the cross. He is the one that we will stand before and be judged by one day. All of this world will. And he's proven that he's gonna judge him by that man because that man walked out of the grave on the third day. He lives. When the women went to the tomb that morning, when the disciples went there, they stooped and they looked in and they did not see a grave where a dead man lay. They saw a grave where a man lives again. He came out of that grave. And it happened. This is something to celebrate. You don't have to have Easter bunnies to do it. You don't have to have eggs to do it. You don't have to have a gaming system to do it. If just the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead isn't enough for His church to get together and celebrate, then the church probably doesn't need to get together. But we get together because of Christ and what He has done. Now, you may say, Brother, y'all giving them, you them—you giving them a hard time for all that. You know what? They deserve a hard time. I'm not going to give churches a hard time very often, but they deserve a hard time. The gospel and what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, is enough for us to celebrate. And, man, it's been a great celebration. Starting Thursday night with a meal together as a church it was a wonderful addition this year. Taking the Lord's Supper around those tables together, coming back on Friday and remembering what Jesus did on the cross, remembering the cross of Christ and then today coming together and just uh, celebrating and worshiping Jesus for who he is. <clears throat> the youth quartet started this service off for us and did a wonderful job. So so many people have uh, have uh, just blessed been a blessing to the church in these last 4 days and I'm uh, I'm grateful. So let's get into the text. Acts 24, the Apostle Paul here is standing before Felix. And he is um, giving a defense before him. Felix is the governor of Judea. And Paul is under arrest, has uh, been under arrest, and will be for some time. And here as he is giving this defense, you'll pick up there in verse 14 and he says but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect so I worship the God of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets he goes on in verse 15 to talk about the hope that he has in God which they themselves also accept, the they themselves there would be the Pharisees, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Now, if you go down to verse 21, Paul says there, Unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you, This day the resurrection of the dead and the first point that we're going to see today is talking about the resurrection Sometimes talking about the resurrection will get you in trouble and the apostle Paul And the early church found that to be true Because they spoke about a man who had uh, been raised from the dead Jesus Christ And then they began to go on from there and talk about a resurrection That we have to look forward to one day if you were to flip back in your Bibles in the book of Acts, <clears throat> we can kind of see how uh, the church emphasized the resurrection of uh, Jesus. You can start in chapter 1, verse 22. And in one twenty-two it says, and I'm just going to read a portion of the passage. You can either listen or try to follow along. But the last phrase, one of these must become witness with us of his resurrection. This, of course, when they were choosing someone to fill the place of Judas. In chapter 2, verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. In chapter 2, verse 30, near the end, according to the flesh, he he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. In verse 31, for seeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. In verse 32, this Jesus, God, raised up. And then we go to chapter 3 and verse 15. And killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. And then in chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this man, By by him, this man stands before you whole. Chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Chapter 10, verse 40. Are you seeing the emphasis that the early church gave to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Chapter 10, verse 40. Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly. Chapter 13, verse 30. But God raised Him from the dead. Chapter 13, verse 33. In that He has raised up Jesus Verse 34, in that he raised him from the dead. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Chapter 17, verse 13. Here, the scripture says, hold on a second, oh, verse 18. Verse 18. Uh, he, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And then chapter 17, verse 31, the one I quoted to you a moment ago, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And then chapter 26, verse 23. 26, 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So talking about the resurrection, Jesus rose again and the church was changed because of it. They could not help but speak of the things which they had heard And the things which they had seen. The Apostle Paul is here under arrest. He is here standing before Felix as one who is a proclaimer of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to point number two. There's a hoping in the resurrection. As we look here at verse 15. Paul says that he, along with the Pharisees, just like we might have seen with Martha, had a hope in the resurrection. He says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. I will tell you today, though, that though the Christians hope in the resurrection is somewhat similar to that of what the Pharisees was and perhaps the Jews today. Our hope is quite different because ours is sure because ours our hope goes beyond just a hope in God, but it is a hope in the one as we saw this morning, who is the resurrection and the life, the man Jesus Christ. Now we have that advantage, and it is true. Jesus Christ has risen again. And because if by faith we are in Him, then we have that assurance ourselves. So what makes us different, though, than other groups who believe in a resurrection? If you've got your Bibles, you can look in Acts chapter 26. And the thing that I would say here that can make us sure of this and makes us different is really conversion. We have been changed by the gospel. Now, as we look here, in chapter 26, we can pick up at verse 17. Paul, again, giving an account of his life, but he says in verse 17 uh, about his calling when God called him. Jesus called him in Acts chapter 9. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Now look at this in verse 18. This is, one of, this is an amazing verse. Here's what Paul was going to do. He would be sent to them to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you know that verse was there? That's a great verse. And it is a verse that describes spiritually what happens to us when you become a Christian. It describes spiritually what happens to you when you have been converted. When you went from one state, not like Mississippi to Alabama, but when you went to one spiritual state... To another. And here we see that conversion. There was darkness. Now there is light. There was the power of Satan. Now there is the power of God. There was sins in which we were bound. Now there is forgiveness. There was um, no inheritance. Now there is an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, that last part, I want to stop and ask a question to you. The word sanctified, what does it mean? Does anybody know? What does sanctified mean? It means to be what? Set apart. Look at that passage with me. Verse 18. How are we set apart? By what? By faith in who? It's in Jesus Because Jesus is the one who is talking to Paul here. Now, listen, no one should leave today without knowing this. The way you have an inheritance. I'm not talking about a physical inheritance necessarily. I'm talking about an eternal inheritance, not from physical relatives, but from God. The the only way your eyes will be opened, the only way you will be removed from spiritual darkness to spiritual light is through faith in Jesus. Every person today, if you when you leave this place, you must know that because that is the most important thing for you to know, is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. Jesus is not saying to us, clean yourself up, tidy yourself up, put on your best spiritual clothes, and then come to me, and I can save you then. No, He is saying to us that He did not come to call the righteous to salvation, but God, but Christ came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus has come to save sinners sinners. If you are a sinner, then you qualify. If you are a sinner, then you can be saved. If you understand that you can do nothing to save yourself, that you are lost and undone in your sins, then Jesus is saying that through faith in me, you can be saved and you can have an eternal inheritance. That's it. Stop trying to add stuff to it. Stop adding to the Bible. Stop saying that your way is better than God's ways. Stop thinking that you've got to to do something that the Bible doesn't say. The Bible is saying to all of us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But you know, belief changes everything. Because if you believe but you don't repent, it's not a biblical faith. You see, you see in that passage in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them. Listen, folks, repentance is like the other side of the coin. Faith is on one side, repentance is on the other. And you got to get this this morning, too, because repentance is not a, okay, I'm going this way, I'm turning. And I'm going to go that way. Oh, religion looks good. I'm going to go toward religion. Oh, no, I'm going to go toward self-righteousness. I'm going to be a good person. Oh, I'm, I'm going to turn and I'm going to, go, I'm going to follow the, the church, that group of people. That looks good. I'm going to go that way. No, folks, repentance is not toward anything that is of man. Repentance is toward God. It is toward God. He said in Acts chapter 20 that he preached everything that was necessary. He did so publicly and from house to house. And that was repentance toward God. And faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people never come to conversion. They never are changed because they turn toward the wrong thing. The Bible is calling us to turn toward God. Our minds are changed about our sin. Our minds are changed about God. And we live a repentant life for the rest of our days. Repentance toward God. And that's what conversion is. We've been changed. So we have a hope in the resurrection. And we can be sure of this because of conversion we see next point number 3 preparing for the resurrection preparing for the resurrection <clears throat> you notice there in acts 24 that there will be a resurrection of the dead both of the just and of the unjust. <clears throat> My father-in-law passed away <clears throat> a few months ago, and I had the privilege of preaching his funeral. I mean, it was a it was a a privilege uh, in the highest, greatest way. And um, <clears throat> I put a lot of effort into preparing the message, because I wanted it to be perfect for for that situation. And then as I was driving to the graveside with my family, I thought, I haven't thought anything about what I'm about to say at the graveside service. I was like, I have no idea, Lord, what I'm about to say. And um, as a preacher, that happens a few times in, in life. And you learn to trust in the Lord that He's going to provide, and I believed with all my heart that He would. And I went up there to the little lectern that was set up by the graveside, the casket being brought there and put over the open grave, and the family joined together there and sat in the chairs under the tent. And I remember saying to them right off right off the bat, I said, It's not over. It's not over. His body's being put in that grave, but it's not over. There will be a resurrection. And I said, not only for him, but for every grave, every headstone that you see out here is representative of the people that will rise one day. It is not over. There will be a bodily resurrection of every person the just and the unjust for those who are in Christ you will receive a glorified body like unto his own how does he do that by the power with which he is able to subdue all things unto himself that's how he does it philippians 3:20 20 and 21 For those who are not in Christ, you too will be raised, but you will be forever, ever cast into the lake of fire. There will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. You will command, you will demand, but you will find no relief there will be a judgment and it will be righteous. He is not going to get it wrong. And the only way you or I will stand uncondemned in that day is through faith in the Son of God who rose again. That's it. Nothing in my hand i bring simply to the cross i cling that's my hope that's my life that's all i have but that is enough that is all that god requires is jesus you see there'll be no imperfect people in the presence of god we'll be perfect Not because of our righteousness, but because of His. Do you get it? It's not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. How do you get the righteousness of Jesus? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How are we in Christ Jesus? Through faith in Jesus Believe in him that Acts 26, 18 told us that we receive an inheritance, that there is inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So with that in mind, that day is coming for every believer and every unbeliever. But as a believer, you can be prepared for that day and you must. The Apostle Paul tells us how to do that. He tells us how he was doing it. You see it there in verse 16. This being so, what being so? There's going to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience. Conscience is like, has a prefix there. Con means with. Science means to know, so it is to know with, it is to have a knowledge within. So to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Did you know that verse was in the Bible? He's basically saying the way we live right now makes a difference on that day. Because when we stand before Him, this brief, temporary vapor shadow of a life that we are currently living, it's the only chance we have to prepare for eternity. You're not going to have an opportunity after you die to prepare for eternity. The way you get your inheritance for eternity is through faith in Christ now. The way that we stand before Him on that day is by living with a good conscience before God and men now. Some of you sitting here today have a conscience toward God that is not right. You know that you are sinning against a holy God and you do not repent. You are stiff-necked and you will not turn from your sin. You've been rejecting His Word. You've been rejecting His Son. You know that your life is not right. Some of you sit here today with a conscience that is not right toward men. You have offended your fellow man. You have not sought forgiveness. You've stiffened your neck. You have hardened your heart. And you will not do the right thing. Your conscience is not right. And based upon the authority of God's Word, we can see here today that God is telling us whatever area of our conscience is not right, whether it be toward God or whether it be toward man, we must get it right. Because what we do now will matter on that day when Christ returns. There will be a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. I do not know if it's in your family. I do not, not know if it's in your workplace. I do not know if it is among your friends, among your, um, your, your peers, whoever it may be. But there are consciences that are not right, and we need to get them right. God is calling us to do that through His Word. The conscience can accuse or excuse, the conscience can be defiled. The conscience can be evil. The conscience can be good in all things. And and we can desire to live honorably. Baptism is an answer of a good conscience toward God. We can have love from a good conscience. We can have a good conscience toward God and even endure suffering wrongfully. You see, the Bible talks a great deal about conscience. And it's important that we not live with a conscience that has an offense toward either God or man. Someone once told me about the cross, that it has a vertical aspect of it. This shows our relationship with God, God and man. But there's also a horizontal aspect of the cross. The cross member. Which shows that we are also to live lives that are in right relationship with one another. Both are important. Both we should seek after. There may be marriages here today that are not right. Consciences are not right. And they need to be set right. There may be relationships between Parents and siblings or and children that need to be set right. I admonish you and encourage you to do it. But most of all, there may be relationships with God that are not right. And today, it can be made right through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you three things here to keep a conscience without offense. Number one is this. The Bible educates your conscience. Jesus prayed in John 17 in the great high priestly prayer. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the Bible educates the conscience. It's a lamp and a light. A young man can keep his way clean by taking heed according to God's word. We do well to heed the prophetic word as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. The Bible educates the conscience. Another neat thing about Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is that it's a good time to check yourself in that Bible reading plan you started at the beginning of the year your devotion to the Lord through Scripture, this is a real good time to do a checkup from the neck up and, and see how you're doing on that. See if you're staying focused on the things you need to be focused on. And if you're not, hey, recognize it and recommit yourself today to being in God's Word and letting your conscience be educated not by what you think is wise or what the world thinks is wise, but what God thinks is right. Number two, prayer. Prayer keeps your conscience sensitive. Imagine this. You take the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Imagine this, praying it with sincerity. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'm not saying you got to pray that exact prayer. But do you realize the contents of that prayer and the impact? That it could have on your life if we prayed it in sincerity. Trusting in God our Father. You know what hinders our prayer life a lot? A a conscience that is with offense. We don't go to God in prayer earnestly seeking Him because we know what we're going to find there. Therefore, our consciences often will not stay sensitive. Then the last one is this, the church. The church keeps your conscience in check. Just as it is in prayer, these things often will show up in the church where a person will have a conscience that is defiled in some way or the other. And not only does it keep them from God, but it keeps them from God's people. Because we're not walking in the light, therefore we, should, we do not have fellowship with one another. We do not have fellowship with God because of the sin that may be in our lives. This happens a whole lot. He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise counsel. You see, through the church, we exhort one another. We encourage one another. We stir one another up to love, and to good works. You see, the church is important. All three of these are in our lives as believers. So in conclusion, I just want to ask you today, what kind of shape is your conscience in? Are you looking forward to the resurrection? Do you talk about it? Do you think about it? Do you have hope in it? Are you today preparing for it? In Christ, we can be not only ready for that day, but we can stand before Him on that day holy and without blame. Make sense? All right. That's all I got for y'all this morning. I hope that has a profound impact in our lives. Again, not because I said it, but because God did. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I can't think of a better day to come to Christ for salvation than today. Will you be saved? Will you believe today the testimony of God that He has given His Son and in Him is eternal life? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. I, Lord, I know i sure I could have presented it much better than I have. But Lord, I just pray that uh, your word would have a lasting impact in our lives today. And Lord, I pray that anybody who's maybe been confused on salvation, thought they had something that they can offer to make themselves worthy of salvation, Lord, I pray all that would be thrown out the window and that they would see that the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that is able to save lost sinners. And Father, for uh, all of us here, I pray that the conscience, the gift that you've given to us, and the conscience that. We would use it to our advantage now to be prepared for that day as, Lord, we begin to strive to have a conscience that is without offense toward God and men. In Jesus' name, amen.